Good morning. All right. It has been a while since I've had to put on a suit. So if I look like I'm having trouble breathing, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not sick. It's just tight. Um, also, this will be my first sermon having to wear glasses to read my notes. I'm just falling apart in front of your eyes. So, getting old, man. <laughs> oh, it's good to see y'all. It's good to be here. Um, see, with, with these one-shot sermons, it's, it's hard to know sometimes what to speak on. Uh, and the biggest challenge can, can just be nailing down a text and a topic. Uh, but a few weeks ago, after Pastor Nicholas's last sermon, uh, his last Sunday with us, I was down front here with uh, some of the young guys, and they were thanking Nick for his influence uh, and his impact on their lives. Uh, but they made sure to say, Terrence, you can't claim us. Uh, you were before our time. We belong to Nick. And I was, I was like, okay, yeah, that, that's okay. You know, but I've got a few that I'm willing to claim as under my own ministry, you know, even today. And then uh, Jay, our, our other drummer, uh, he said, well, you know, Terrence, you did baptize me. Uh, and I said, I said, well, I don't even remember that. Um, but, but I'm sure I baptized a lot of people that I don't remember, you know. I'm, I'm like Paul in 1 Corinthians. He says, I, I don't even remember if I baptized anybody else. Um, but then I, I thought about it, and, and I saw that, that yeah, there are, there are a lot of people that I've baptized, and some of them are still faithful and serve the Lord and love the Lord. But then there are some who I know for a fact aren't living for the Lord and don't really show any sign of regeneration and some who would be happy to tell you they aren't Christians anymore. People who have gone on missions trips, people who have gone to Bible school and have walked away from the faith. Uh, today, the phenomenon, we call it deconstruction. Uh, people grow up as Christians and claim to believe, but as they grow older, they deconstruct why they came to believe. They want to take apart every belief and why they believed it and see if there were good reasons to believe it now that their brains are fully developed and they're independent and, and brave enough to make decisions for themselves and see if they agree with what they were taught. And we've, we've seen it among famous Christians, so-called Christian celebrities. Uh, former pastor Joshua Harris, who wrote the I Kiss Dating Goodbye books, he says he's not a Christian anymore. Uh, Kevin Max, he was one of the singers in DC Talk, uh, he says he's not a Christian anymore. And that, that hits me in the, in the teenage years, right? DC Talk was the group when I was a teenager. Um, they're YouTube stars, Rhett and Link. They used to be Christians. They used to write songs for uh, Christian video curriculum for kids. Uh, they, they recorded podcasts to explain why they don't believe anymore. Uh, maybe you've heard of uh, Bart Ehrman. He's a famous agnostic 
who criticizes the Bible, he went to Moody Bible Institute. And then, and some of the older folks may know of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, what's his name? Charles Templeton. He was Billy Graham's ministry partner when they first started out at one point. And eventually he left the faith altogether. And so now it seems like almost every week there's someone who announces on Twitter or social media that they are deconstructing um, or have walked away from the faith completely. Uh, but, but before we get discouraged or, God forbid, blame ourselves or you blame yourself for choices someone else makes, it's not a new phenomenon. All right, we just slapped a fancy name on it. We call it deconstruction, make it sound unique and special to us. Every single generation has false converts, people who believe for a time, and walk away. Jesus tells multiple parables about sheep and goats, wheat and tares, people who fall away in times of testing. And we are told about all the people who saw Jesus himself do miracles but stopped following him when it got too hard. Anyone who tells you that this generation is especially bad and, and that they have the cure to fix this generation, they're ignorant of the Bible and church history, okay? But here's the thing. I think all of us need to deconstruct. I've had to do this. Do I believe just because this is what I was brought up with? Why is Christianity, these are questions I had to ask myself. Why is Christianity true, but Islam isn't true? Um, why, can't, why can't I sleep with my girlfriend? Just because the Bible says I can't? Am I robbing myself of pleasure and fulfillment because this old book says so? Is it really true? And we all have to do this eventually because we can't live in a blind faith with no real reason ceaselessly. Our minds need to fuel our actions. But here's the thing, deconstruction does not have to mean demolition, okay? It can mean rebuilding. It is the process by which we move from the faith of our fathers to our own faith that we cling to because we know Jesus for ourselves. So for some people, this is a real and honest intellectual exercise, and I want to respect that. But for others, it is simply a justification to do whatever is going to work out for my maximum pleasure. And I'm sure you know some of those people, and you're related to some of those people, and it breaks your heart. And so I want to talk about this issue this morning of people walking away from the church and I want to look at a case study this morning from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4. And I want to answer a few questions as we look at this passage, okay? Uh, the first question I want to ask is, who's, who's a candidate to fall away? Who's a potential candidate? Number two, what is the cause? What causes someone to fall away? And number three, what is the cure to prevent this falling away? Our case study starts in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, some of the very last words written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. He knows he is about to be killed for his faith, and he pens these heartfelt words in a final plea to Timothy. We'll start at verse 9, okay? Paul says, do your best to come to me soon, for Demas 
in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. We're going to stop there. Paul is facing death, and he is alone. And we see that all of his companions have left him for one reason or another, apart from Luke. Luke is still there. But there is one person he singles out as having deserted him or abandoned him. That is Demas. Who was Demas? Okay. We know very little about him, but we know that he was one of Paul's ministry partners. All right. One of his ministry companions. He is mentioned in the closing greetings to the Colossians and Philemon. Right. Uh, Demas says hi. That's what Paul says about, that's what we know about Demas. He would say hi to people at the end of a letter. Uh, so, so Demas, but Demas would have been with Paul, right, as he traveled around the world preaching the gospel for years. He would have heard all the teaching that Paul taught and seen all the miracles that the Lord did through Paul. He would have received the best discipleship from the best discipler besides Christ himself. He was even with Paul previously while he was writing letters from prison to the Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. He had been through good times and hard times with Paul. He was no casual Christian. So who is a candidate to fall away? Anyone. Anyone including you, including me. If we would compare Demas to someone today, uh, we would say that he grew up in church. He starred in Awana. He sang in the youth choir. He went to Christian schools. He went to the Word of Life Bible Institute. Maybe he went to Dallas Theological Seminary studied under the best professors, and was in the ministry for many years. In case you missed it, I just gave you my timeline, right? That's my timeline. If I look at myself honestly and with a biblical, consistent framework, I have to say I could be a Demas. If the best educated, best discipled pupil could walk away, then so can I, and so can you. Who is in danger of being a Demas? You and me. And we need to wake up to that reality. We can't sleepwalk through our Christian life. None of us is immune to the danger. All right? But what is this danger? What is the cause of people falling away? The text tells us that it is loving the world or as I will say later, needing the now. We need the now. For many people, including those deconstructing, the ultimate cause of them falling away is the same root problem that Demas had. Verse 10 says, having loved the present world, he has deserted me. Having loved the present world. The Greek literally says, the now age. 
He loved the now age. Ultimately, Demas found his satisfaction and his pleasure and his security in the now era. That's what it means to love the world, to value the immediate, tangible things we can experience with our senses over the calling of Christ to die to ourselves. The opinions of people in the world become more important than those who follow Christ. And that may sound judgmental, but remember, we just said that any one of us can fall into this trap. And it is dangerous, right? We see it lead to Demas, this loving the world, this needing the now. We see it lead to Demas abandoning his years-long mentor to isolation and loneliness, even as he is about to face death. Demas had been with Paul through his previous stays in prison, but, but there was something about this time. He knew Paul was going to die. And when the chips were down, he found out where his allegiance truly lay. The comfort and security and predictability of the world won out over his allegiance to Paul, even in his darkest days. Look at the power the world has. No wonder scripture warns us over and over and over about the lure of the world. Let's look at some texts real quick. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Mark 4, verses 18 through 19. The parable of the soils. Jesus talking about one of the soils. Verse 18, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 through 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager, eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Matthew 16, verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Even the entire book of Ecclesiastes is just the writer telling us how he went ahead and tried everything under the sun, experienced every pleasure that was possible, and still came out of it saying it wasn't worth it. But the reality is we live in the world. We can't pull ourselves out of the world, right? In fact, Jesus even prays against that in John chapter 17. He says, I, I pray that you do not take them out of the world. That's what Jesus says. But we live in an age with the access to the most information and experiences the world has ever known. 
Demas had to go all the way to Thessalonica to embrace the world. Where do we have to go? We can sit in our house, in our living room, and be bombarded with the world trying to convince us that the now age is what's most important. We've got YOLO and FOMO, right? You only live once, and there's a fear of missing out, so we got to try to do everything. No, the problem is you only die once, and then you live forever based on who you loved. But we have Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and television and movies and YouTube hitting us with thousands of images and ideas every day tempting us to be discontent and find satisfaction in this world. So be aware. The world is actively trying to draw you away from Christ. Wives, or spouses, however you want to. This applies to men too. Say your spouse. Say your spouse goes to the gym. Uh, he comes home and he tells you that a woman came at the gym, came up to him and told him that she wanted him. And... She was going to do everything she could to get him. Doesn't care that you're married. What would you do? Would you, would you tell him to keep going to that gym? Maybe. Maybe you say, oh, I trust my husband. <laughs> Alicia, eyes got real big just now. Uh, <laughs> I trust my husband. He's not going to cheat on me. We're married. Okay, but after a few weeks, you ask your husband about the woman at the gym, and he says, oh, yeah, we work out together now. Oh. But nothing's happening, you know. You can still trust me. Uh, but a few weeks later, he comes home and tells you, oh, they're making plans to get lunch this week. Are you, are you still, right? Remember this woman has said she has active plans to take this man away from his wife. And he is consistently engaging and getting closer and closer and closer to her. Do you still trust this man? Are you trusting him now, knowing that this person has already declared to try to steal his loyalty? See, we're smart. We can come up with all kinds of excuses and defenses for our worldliness. These are the things we say. We say, oh, there's... There's no sacred and secular uh, distinction. Nothing is good or bad in and of itself. It's all how you use it. I can claim this because I have freedom in Christ and I can redeem this and I can make it good. <clears throat> all things are lawful for me, but not all things are wise, right? But, but I would be right there with you defending our freedom in Christ and, and the ability to do certain things, right? Um, but we also need to be realistic and understand that the human heart is wicked above all things. Who can know it? We will always overestimate our ability to resist the world's ability to numb our love for Christ today. but we want to experience everything. And then think our little five-minute Devo we read in the morning 
or one hour at church a week is going to sustain us and fend off the world that is crafting every possible idea to steal our affection. We had a, uh, a cross-trainers seminar about a year and a half ago, I think. It's been a while. Uh, over at Grace Community Church. And, and they showed us this video about a set of twin girls who are about six, six to eight years old. And, and they were Instagram stars. They're celebrities. Millions of followers of these twin girls. <clears throat> Companies would send them free products and ask them to promote them, and then they would get paid or take a slice of whatever, you know. And everyone would just tell these girls how beautiful they were and how amazing they are. And so we watched that video, and the, and the question was posed to the group uh, if we thought that this was good for these kids to have literally millions of followers and have this much influence over other kids. And some people said yes, and some people said no. Uh, but th- there, was, there was one couple who said they would let their kids be the celebrities and that they could shield them from the negative impact that the world might have on celebrities, on, you know, kids who are famous. And I, I said right in front of everybody, I said, you're naive, you are naive. If you think you have the power over a child's heart to not get attached to the world's praise. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it while really it is finding its place in him. His increasing reputation, his widening circle of acquaintances, his sense of importance, the growing pressure of absorbing an agreeable work build up in him a sense of being really at home in earth. So, what can we conclude about Demas? Was he even saved? Maybe. There's scholarly debate over whether or not he was a believer who just wanted comfort or whether he completely abandoned the faith, right? Uh, The text doesn't say definitively. But we can say that his love for the world led him to abandon people and has left everyone saying, I don't even really know if he was a true believer. That's the best we can say about him. Is that what you want people to say about you? I don't even know. Do you want to be known as a deserter like Demas was? That's not what I want people to say or wonder about me. So what is the cure for all of this? How can we prevent ourselves from loving the world? It's on the screen. We focus on the future. Focus on the future. Paul already told us. See, I, I, I was deceitful. I started in the middle, and now I'm going to go back. Uh, in verses 7 and 8, here's what he says. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What's the, what's the inoculation against this disease of loving the world? See how I didn't say vaccine? Uh, <clears throat> loving Jesus' appearing. Paul contrasts Demas' love for the now time of comfort and ease and indulgence with his own love for the future time when Christ will come back and reward all those who were longing for his return. Paul uses the perfect tense of the Greek word agapao, which as Pastor Drew explained a couple weeks ago, the perfect tense means a completed action in the present that has continuing results in the future. So we are to love Christ now in a way that will stick it out in the end. Don't wait to say, well, after I make this much money or after I get married and have kids or after I reach these certain milestones in my job and my career, then I'll start trying to love Jesus for real. You might not make it because in the meantime, you're just entrenching that love for the world that will be harder to uproot the longer you let it grow, right? So what do we do? Uh, is it really just as simple as me telling you, love Jesus more? How do I do that? How do I stir up affection in my heart? Or something that I don't, I can't force myself to feel something. Read my Bible more, pray more, go to church more, more checklists that I just have to do. Yeah? Uh, but there are people who do those things just to do them, right? Spiritual disciplines are good, but not as an end in themselves. We must focus on the future. You have to love Christ as a real person who you want to see. He's not just the person in the Bible stories or some government figure who I don't really know who just tells me the things I can't do. You have to believe in him as a real person and that his return is a real event that will have real consequences that impact how you live today. So parents, teach your kids to love Christ, not Christianity and not Christian culture. A lot of kids can hide behind memorizing Bible verses like they're told to or sing in the choir or play in the band and because everyone encourages them and says, oh, it's so nice to see young people involved. And keep doing that. Yes, keep doing that. That's good. But we need to be sure we are pointing them to Jesus as a real person and not just 
the benefits of fitting in and following all the rules of our Christian subculture. What else can we do? We need to examine our hearts. We need to take real stock of our hearts and check our hearts for numbness. Examine how much we intentionally expose ourselves to excessive worldliness and what impact that is having on our affection for Christ. Do you love Jesus more today than a year ago? No? Then what is competing? What is competing for your love for Christ? Plead with Christ to increase your love for him. Pray, say, Jesus, I am not feeling it. And that's an honest prayer. But you don't just stay there. You say, I want to love you, Lord. Help me love you. Show me how to love you. And if you keep praying that prayer, he is guaranteed to answer it. We are saved by faith and we are sanctified by faith. Believe that. So as we examine our hearts, we need to see, is there something I need to cut out? Because while it, it may not be a problem for someone else, it might be a problem for me. For me, all right, I've had to stop playing video games. That sounds silly, but for me, I know what it does to my brain and my motivation and, and the false reward system it creates to make me feel like I'm accomplishing something. But in the real world, I haven't done anything. And, and like I can't just spend a whole weekend playing video games anymore, so I just don't, you know? And so you try to occupy that time because I know it numbs my heart. Maybe you have something like that, and we need to be honest with ourselves. And finally, consider your community. Paul says Jesus will not only reward him, but also all the ones who have loved his appearing. Are you spending time with other people who love Jesus? And that's been hard over the last year and a half. But we need to make it a priority. Does it only happen when you come to church one hour a week? Be careful. You're daring to be a Demas. You can't spend all your free social time with people who embrace worldliness and never express any affection for Jesus without an effect on your soul. You say, well, I don't have any friends or coworkers who want to talk about Jesus. That's why we have many churches and small groups because Calvary Bible Church is committed to providing an environment for people to cultivate a love for Christ with other believers. And if you say you don't have time for that, or that doesn't appeal to you, then don't be surprised when you discover that you have no joy or affection for Jesus and his return. You're daring to be a Demas. You can't isolate. And I can, I can quote for you all the statistics that talk about the benefits of going to church and being around other believers and how divorce rates plummet and how death rates plummet and how 
quality of life significantly raises for those people who consistently find themselves around other believers. It's scientific data and it's biblical data. All right? So we need to consider our community. And by loving Jesus today, you will have a future, long-term joy and satisfaction and reward. So today, we've seen who has the potential to be a Demas? Everyone, anyone. We've seen the cause of being a Demas. It's finding our satisfaction and security in the now era that we live in. And what's the cure to all of this? Having a forward-looking future mindset for Christ that is stirred up and encouraged by fellow believers. Some of us have been flirting with the world and daring to be a Demas, and we need to confess it and repent and rekindle our love for Christ and his appearing. Let's be honest. Some of us have very little love for Christ. We, we're thankful. We might be thankful. We might say, oh, I'm so thankful he did that thing for me so long ago. But if we examine our heart, we don't really love him. Today is the day that that can change. So let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us, that as imperfect as our love is, you still love us, that you always call us back, that no matter how far we have drifted, that you always welcome us home. Lord, I pray for those who have been engaged in worldliness and thinking that it doesn't matter, that it's not really going to affect their life, that they have it under control. Lord, may we all realize that, that Demas thought he had it under control too and that we need to rekindle our affection for you, for Jesus, for, for his appearing. And we find comfort in those things ultimately and not the temporary vanishing things of this world. Lord, help us to see you as our reward. Help us to find joy. Help us to love each other. Help us to see Christ as the greatest reward and satisfaction. In Jesus' name, amen.